Welcome to Stories That Stick, a podcast series about the stories that shape us. I know that when I'm older, I'm going to grow into a beautiful butterfly. And you know what? It's right because I did. Hey guys, it's Ade here, your host for Stories That Stick. Now, before we do announce who we have on today's episode, we wanted to say the biggest thank you to all the NHS staff, to the local stores and groceries, and to every individual on the front line helping us battle this coronavirus. You are literally keeping us all alive, so thank you. Now, in today's episode, we have Bami, founder of Bam Bam Boogie, a community that aims to form fearless women around the world through innovative dance fitness practices, such as twerk after work. She talks to us about finding her identity and confidence through dancing. And of course, all the stories and memories that made a big impact on her life so far. Now, regular listeners know that we start every conversation talking about death. And in this current pandemic, this might seem insensitive. But please know the reason we do this is because if our guest was to pass away, God forbid, then at least our conversation would be a reminder on how they felt whilst they were alive. We believe that speaking about death informs how we all live. However, if this topic is triggering, then please fast forward to around the one minute mark straight after this. And finally, now more than ever, we need content that is uplifting and inspiring So if you do find this episode to be just that, then please do share it or leave a review because it really does help. You guys are the best. Please do stay safe and we'll see you on the other side. Bye. Bami, first and foremost, thanks for coming. Um, I start with the topic of death. Okay. When I say that, how do you feel? I feel kind of sad when I think about other people dying, but I don't feel emotions of sadness to thinking about me dying because I live every day to the fullest. So if it ends and it's like, okay, at least I know I had the best I could. If it did end, what are you hoping we know of Bami? Like my legacy. Yeah. I hope that you see my legacy as someone who aimed to bring joy to this world and spread a positive message and just that, you know, being yourself is enough. I always say that. I just nowadays just live my life 100% and authentically me, whereas in the past I was trying to be like someone else. Interesting. Well, let's go into your past. Okay, let's open it up. Zero to ten. (laughs) Bammy. Tell me what was going around. Paint pictures. I mean, or should we say Ayobami when? Uh, 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 yeah, Ayobami. <laughs> okay, Ayobami. Zero to ten. Well, I was born in London to Nigerian immigrant parents. Big sister, younger brother, and growing up, like life was difficult but still fun at the same time. Like started off in council housing, and then when I was born, we moved to like our own house that wasn't council house in Edgware um but I always felt like I had less than like my friends at school and things like that I didn't go to school with people who necessarily looked like me or were part of the same like uh socio-economic background I'd say they were more like middle upper class that was interesting with like identity and 
trying to see who I am. Never forget this one boy at school, Richard. He called me coconuts and I never forget it. What did you say in response? I don't remember actually really saying anything. I just remember being kind of in shock and like almost embarrassed that I wasn't sure, should I defend myself? And then I'm just a chocolate bar, a regular chocolate bar, or should I like own up to this? I just remember being completely perplexed as to what was going on. But from then on, I realized like, I understand what he's trying to say as in like, I'm different than like, I guess how he sees black people in media and stuff. Did you speak to your parents about that? Was there any conversations about identity? Mm, no, not really, really, to be honest. Nigerian parents, like, well, my Nigerian parents anyway, they just they just wanted you to just fit in and just do what you're told. No, no higihaga, no higihaga. Like, if something happens in school, then you know what? That happens to you. You don't fight them. You just have to, like, kill them with kindness or just still stay focused and show your results by what they thought is the grades that you get. No, I hear that. So most people do know who are regular listeners that I often get my guests to give me certain books or fun memories as just prompts. You did write The Hungry Caterpillar. Mm-hmm. Why? I just thought that book was really cute when I was younger to see the caterpillar go through that growth of just like eating and eating and eating and then seeing it turn into a butterfly. I felt like it was just inspiring for me as a kid I was like okay you know what even though I'm packing a bit of pounds right now I know that when I'm older I'm gonna grow into a beautiful butterfly and you know what it's right because I did shall we go to your next chapter the next decade. Yeah, 11 to 20. So we're 11 going, to 20. So we're going into secondary school, wow. college, and uni, potentially. Potentially, cool. Talk to what us happened? about this decade, yeah. Oh, oh, Lord, this decade is transformational. Like, I wish we could even show you some clips of my wildness at this stage. So from 11 to 14, I was still in London. Everything was calm. I was going to like a, not a private school, but like a state funded school, but still like a good one. So obviously I made good friends. I got to go to bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. So that was my first experience of like wealth. And this was super, super exciting for me. I was like, oh my gosh, like, can I be Jewish? <laughs> um, so yeah, I do recall those memories as being like happy times, apart from sometimes feeling like I would code switch. Code switching is when you are like at school one person and then when you come home to end yeah. you're like a different person so at school you know prim and proper like you know bammy and then at home it's like trying to be a bit more urban but you're just really faking it till you make it right um so then i moved to canada at 14 Ooh, okay. so i left everything behind in london because my parents wanted to have a better life for us so we moved to Toronto, specifically Mississauga. And yeah, that's when everything kind of changed for me because I became like a proper teenager. Like you're 14 and you move to a country where it's just so unfamiliar. I'd only been there one time before. So you can reinvent yourself. Yeah, exactly. I remember telling my friends at my old school in London being like, what type of girl should I be when I go there? Should I be the girl that always has lollipops? always has my hair like this like I was already trying to create this brand for myself yeah Yeah. 
So that and was interesting. You? I did. I really did. And it was hard actually at first because I moved there as a black girl. But again, you know, still that kind of quote unquote coconut identity. But then I moved to an area which was a bit more diverse. However, they didn't know that there were like black people in England, if that makes sense. Yeah. So for me to be black and from the UK was very confusing to them. So there's a lot of ignorance and there's a, a lot, lot of like you having to educate through just your very being. Is Literally. Yeah, 100%. It's kind of like mean girls. So it wasn't until I met my Caribbean group of friends. They kind of like welcomed me into their circle. But the initiation was through like dancing. Mm -hmm. So they're like, oh, do you know how to like whine and like bubble and like twerk? And I was like. No, I just know how to grind. <laughs> and they were like, oh my gosh, we have to teach you. So after school, I would go every day and like practice and know how to whine and bubble and stuff with the girls and the guys. And then that's what kind of helped me build my confidence was dancing. At this stage, were you starting to figure out career-wise what you're thinking about doing and becoming? Ish. My Nigerian parents, yes, at school, not so much. <laughs> I feel like school in Canada is a little bit different than school in the UK because we don't have the standardised testing. So it's a bit more um, flexible. But I know that when I moved, so I was in Toronto, Mississauga, then I moved to a place called Oakville, which is pretty much like living in Hertfordshire, I'd say. Like it's a bit more in the boonies and once again, less diverse. So uh, when I moved there... I'm going to pause for a second and just ask if you don't mind... Are your parents acutely aware that they move or gravitate towards less diverse areas and neighbourhoods? I think they know. And I think it's my mum who mainly pushes for those things. I'm not 100% sure why. I've never actually spoke to her about it. But maybe it's something to do with the way that she grew up and the way that she was conditioned. Maybe she feels some type of like safety or something being in those type of areas. And like this type of class thing, like amongst the friends, knowing that she's living in one of the more rich or affluent areas, right. affluent areas. Because that takes a toll on, on the kid, including you. You're mm -hmm. continuously questioning your identity. Mm -hmm. Is that healthy? Mm. To be honest, as a kid, I don't think it is very healthy because it's confusing. You know, you're so young and then you're always looking different than the people around you. I think it's good because it teaches you how to have like thick skin and how to, you know, be strong and represent yourself wherever you are. Because to be honest, maybe she was just trying to prepare me for a corporate world that is mainly going to be one of the few black people in your workplace. It actually did help then. It gave you a good foundation yeah. entering the corporate world. Yes, it did. Because at least I know how to like communicate and kind of, yeah, you, you know, quote unquote, tone it down. I want to go back into this teenage years still, and we won't necessarily <laughs> go into love, but love is always interesting. Love is always romance. there. I know you want to get into the juicy parts. Okay. Go ahead, get in there, get in there. <laughs> so that is, okay, so I had my like first, first boyfriend when I moved to, remember when I moved to Canada, that first house in Mississauga? So there was another black British guy who came when I was leaving. He was from London too. And everyone in the whole school was freaking out. They were like, oh my gosh, I know they're going to date. And me and Hakeem, lo and behold, started dating. We were like black British king and queen of the school. Everyone was like, oh my gosh, you guys are going to get married. Until dun dun dun. 
I heard rumors of her keen seeing someone else. The white girl, Sarah. So I had to come back to Mississauga. I told him Hakeem meet me at the park at this time, blah, blah, blah. And then he met me there. And guess who was there? Sarah. That's me and my friends come in all black. We're running, chasing them. He starts running with the girl away. That was my first experience of heartbreak. So sad. Oh, bless. <laughs> Uh, it's funny now, but like what you've done, what you've been missing out you on all this sugar, see, all this, hey, you know, thank God. But, uh, <laughs> so that was my first love, Hakeem. I see. Tracy Beaker. <laughs> I honestly don't even know why I put Tracy Beaker there, to be honest. What about Tracy Beaker, though? <laughs> Tell me. Tracy B Remember Tracy Beaker? The I don't, for those really? who don't. No. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so Tracy Beaker was a character from, oh, I can't remember off the top of my head, Jacqueline Wilson, I believe, book series. And she um, was in foster care, like a group home. And she was like the rebellious one, the fun one. So always having interesting stories about her being at this group home and just never getting adopted because like she's a teenager. So it's kind of hard to adopt teenagers. And then it got made into a TV show. Um, and I just really liked it. I'm not sure why I loved it at the time, but now I'm thinking maybe it's because of the fact that she had this like identity kind of issues and maybe that was reflected in my life as well. So I felt like, oh, Tracy Beaker, she's a cool kid. She's working through it. Shall we head into the third decade? Can't believe I'm in my third decade, guys. I'm yeah. old. Well, you and I both. <laughs> <laughs> you and I both. third decade now we're in uni but going out of uni to start thinking about career and this is where we find ourselves when it comes down to your actual business mm -hmm. so I'm starting uni and decided that for financial reasons that I would just stay at home and go to University of Toronto before I graduated that's when I found out about SEO London a not-for-profit I believe in the UK that helps people from diverse backgrounds get into top companies. SEO London had a posting about HR in Google but I didn't have the qualifications they said but then she called me back and she said actually they have a sales role if you're interested like a sales digital strategy role and I was like yeah sure whatever's going to get me out of here but then I saw it was in Dublin and I was like oh gosh well I'm not going to get it anyway so I might as well just interview. So then I interviewed Famous last word. and then I got it. So good, so good and good. And then I had to move to Dublin um, once I graduated. And it was definitely harder than I expected. Why was this so difficult? I'd finally established myself and my identity as like this bold, fun force of nature, super popular. Like I felt like I was at the peak of my social like game like I was killing it mm. and then I moved to Dublin thinking it's going to level me up and then all of a sudden it's like I'm back that 14 year old girl moving to Canada again completely just feeling out of her depth and I think the reason why it was so different this time I don't even now have this support group so remember in the first decade second decade even though I was around people that didn't look like me I still had this support group of like family friends cousins where I can be myself yeah. but in Dublin, I didn't know anyone, so I couldn't code switch to go back and get my energy and kind of like heal again. So it was just 
darkness like all round for I'd say at least the first like six to eight months. How did you cope? How did you overcome? Overcoming this was definitely through health and fitness. So I gained a lot of weight going there because I just was so depressed. And then after when I finally got a personal trainer and started to work out, I started to feel more confident in myself. And I'd never before connected the dots of like mental health and like physical fitness. So actually going to the gym and feeling this difference, I was like, wow, if this can help me, I'm sure this can help so many other people. But then I would go into other gym spaces and not see people that look like me and just feel very awkward. So I was like, no, I'm not going to complain about this yet again. Let me just make a change. And that's why I created my business, Bam Bam Boogie Dance Fitness. But then the problem was because it was fitness and dance, it wasn't recognized the way it should have been in my actual corporate career and in my, you know, when you're in corporate, you have to do those evaluation feedback. It's called Perfect Google. It wasn't ranked as highly in values because it's not related to the overall quote unquote goals of Google, but it is, but it's just hard to measure it because things like diversity and inclusion take years and years and it's hard to put a number on it and stuff. Right. We've heard it all before. Yeah, we have. When do you decide to take that leap and say, you know what, I'm actually going to make Bam Bam Boogie my full time? It's tricky to say the exact time, but I just remember that there was one time where I just had enough where I saw that someone was promoted ahead of me, even though they started after me. So that's when I realized, you know what, if you're going to do me like that, I'm going to do you like that. So I decided to do a personal training course, all those fitness qualifications. That was in 2017. I did that and it was paid for most of it by my company. Got those qualifications. From there, I said, you know what, I can actually now leave because I have the qualifications. But the bank account wasn't agreeing, so I uh, had to save. So <laughs> stayed then for about another six months, saved up 10K. And then the day I got my bonus, I quit. All very strategic. Look at that. So now we have that part of savings to now give you that buffer to really go full time with this. Yes, 100%. How are we going about this? At the first three months, I was just crippled by fear to actually start these classes in London. So I didn't really do much. I was mainly like on the couch, going to like other people's fitness classes, trying to build up my confidence and my network. It's now a good time then to talk about what success looks like and what you do want moving forward. I'm asking you, Bemi. Oh, you're genuinely asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought it was one of those rhetorical, rhetorical. questions. No, I hear that. It's just I'm looking <laughs> and I'm thinking. Yeah, I think we've pretty much touched on everything from my third decade. I'd say probably what people might want to hear a bit more about is actually leaving your job and kind of what that feels like. Okay. Maybe a bit more how you can prepare yourself if there's other people who want to leave their full-time job. I get sure. that question quite a lot. Do you? Yeah. Well, are you going to give me an answer that isn't then camp? Yeah. <laughs> Look at my girl. I oh get that a lot. Oh my gosh, Ade's trying to hey. say my answers come from a box. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be honest with it. I'm just going to give you the tips that I share, but you didn't have them on your notes, so I'm just going to say them. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are preparing to like leave your job or you want to leave your job and you don't know, because I have a lot of people who tell me they want to be an entrepreneur, but they're not sure like how, it's try different things. So like genuinely try different things that, might interest you and start with a small group of people test your idea and just start growing it from there like people forget that I was an entrepreneur at Google doing it in this safe space for 18 months before I ever 
left and did it outside and I was still crippled with fear. So it is a very scary thing to do to leave your full-time job. Like it takes time to hone your craft and know your brand and know who you are before actually doing it. So that would be the advice I would have. Let's speak about the next steps. Mm -hmm. What is the hope? What is the next steps? So the next steps are to grow this franchise business to far and wide because I've had so many success stories from the business in terms of the fact that women have left their jobs, women have been promoted. They've just started attracting things that they've wanted into their life because of the class and not just the class, the community. So it's made me realize that this class isn't for me anymore. Before it was solely for me and I saw it as me as a superstar and everyone worships Bam Bam in this class, you know? That's how I very first had the idea. But now, since I've been sharing it, I'm like, no, this needs to go huge. I'm talking thousands, hundreds of thousands of instructors all over the world, just growing and pushing this community and reaching different communities like the queer community, the mum community, you know, black community, Asian community, just everyone feeling connected and feeling like they have a community from this. Tell us exactly what Bam Bam Boogie does. We're speaking about it, but we haven't. Oh, we haven't. Yeah, true. Let the people know. Let the let the people them know. Okay, bam, bam, boogie. If you don't now know, you're gonna know. Okay, so (laughs) it is a dance fitness revolution. It's a community where we aim to form fearless females around the world through innovative dance fitness practices, such as twerk after work, twerk in heels, different events. But the main franchise is twerk after work. It's the most popular class that we have. Started off with just me as an instructor twerking around the world. And now we have over 15 instructors in over five different cities in the Netherlands, Dublin, Ghana and the UK. What one book would you gift others? Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Why? Because of the fact that it completely just changed my life and gave me the motivation to actually leave my job at Google. Because when I read that you need to have 10,000 hours approximately to become a master at something, I sat there and I just calculated, okay, 10,000 hours. I worked for three hours after work on Bam Bam Boogie, calculated the days and the years it would take. I think it was going to take like 50 years to become quote unquote a master. And then when I gave myself eight hours, that time was literally cut in half. It was like 20 years. I'm like, I need to leave my job. Well, Bam Bam, how can we find you on the World Wide Web? And when we do, because you're lit. (laughs) Is there anything you would like us to actually do and stuff? You can find me at bambamboogie.com, on Instagram, bambam underscore boogie, or at twerkafterwork. And if there's one thing that I would like you to do is tell someone about me, Bam Bam Boogie, what we're doing, how, you know, we're looking for instructors and how we're trying to grow and how we're empowering women around the world, because... I've learned that word of mouth is still definitely the number one way to spread a message and market yourself. Well, Bammy, you've been an absolute dream. Thank you very much for sharing your voice and stories that stick. And guys, as always, stay tuned for another episode and do give us feedback because we just want to grow, grow, grow and be better, better, better. So peace. Bye. Today's episode was produced by Ade Bambala. Sound designed by Chris Orise. And if you'd like to be featured on Stories That Stick, then please do get in touch.